How's everyone doing today? I uh, wanted to share that song with you guys because it's the lyrics are. It'll make sense towards the end of the sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and do as I usually do when I preach. I'm going to start by reading the text we're going to be walking through this morning, and then we will pray and we'll jump in. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse 10 through 18. It says this. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and ask that you would... um, Help us to understand this text. Help us to be illuminated by it. Help us to be encouraged by um, just the truths of this text, that we would be enlightened by it, that we would be challenged by it, and that you would help me to uh, present it well to these people, that they might uh, know why you have come and why we celebrate Christmas. Lord, I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Some of you might have noticed that I am holding a baby. We're shocked. I know. Um, this is my little four, almost five-month-old. Her name is Ellie, or Eliora is her full name. We just call her Baby Ellie, Smelly Ellie. And babies are peculiar. And what I mean by that is they are very vulnerable. They're very weak. They're very dependent on the parents, right? I mean, she can't even pick out her outfit. Mommy picked it out for her today. And didn't she do a good job? She looks adorable. Um, she doesn't, like, she uncontrollably drools all the time. She can't help but do that. She is completely weak and dependent on us to take care of her. Um, she has the softest skin in the world. I don't know if you guys have ever felt a newborn baby's skin. It's so soft. But in that softness is a vulnerability, right? She's weak and she's dependent on me and mommy to uh, take care of her. And so, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the incarnation, which is just a fancy word for God coming down and becoming a man, or in the case of Christmas, becoming a baby. Um, And and before we really dive into the text, I wanted to uh, give us a little context so we understand what what we're reading 
Um, the book of Hebrews is a peculiar book of the New Testament. Um, no one knows who the author is. They've debated it a lot. Some people say it was Paul who wrote it. Others uh, say maybe Luke wrote it. I've heard that before. But really, we don't, we don't know who wrote it. What we do know about it is that uh, just based on the text of Hebrews, it was written to a predominantly Jewish church. And the author wrote it to them uh, because it seemed that they were doubting the, uh, well, they were doubting Christ, and they were doubting who he was, and they were doubting what he uh, came on earth to do. And because they were predominantly Jewish, he's going to go through, and he's going to walk through the Old Testament. This, the whole book of Hebrews is he's walking through the Old Testament, and he's saying, Jesus fulfills the law, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, right? And he goes through this whole book, and he's going to... Um, He's going to be making this argument of Christ's supremacy. And so we're going to be looking at a point in the text early on because we're looking at chapter 2, as I read before I prayed. And we're going to be looking at Christ's humanity. But in order for us to understand Christ's humanity and the significance of God becoming a man like the Incarnation... Um, I wanted to read you a couple verses from chapter 1 of Hebrews where he starts off the book in a very beautiful and intense way talking about the supremacy of Christ. Um, I just wanted to start off by reading uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so what he's essentially saying here is if you go back to the Old Testament the main way that God communicated to his people was through prophets, right? Verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, and also, or through whom also he created the world. And so now he's saying, it's no longer uh, the prophets that I am uh, using to bring my message to you. Now I'm sending my son, I am sending God himself, I am sending him to be the, my voice, to be my word. And uh, this, is, uh, this is the beautiful verse. verse 3. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a beautiful description of Christ as a deity, as God. He is supreme. He is creator and sustainer of the universe. He, is, he radiates God. When we Essentially what that means is when we look at Jesus and we look at his life and we look at his ministry and the things that he did on earth, we're seeing God's nature brought down to us to see, to eyewitness it. And the other fact as well is that he's an imprint of his nature. And so, again, like when we look at Jesus' character, how he responded to things, his, uh, you know, when he would uh, show compassion and heal people, we see that God is compassionate. When, when he would get angry and make a cord of whips because people were demeaning his temple and he'd, you know, shoo them out by whipping them, you see that God is, gets angry and you see that part of God through Jesus as well. He doesn't hide all of his character from us. We see it all when we look at Christ. 
both his love, both his anger, uh, and his mercy. We see all of that radiated through Jesus so that we can know what God is like because of him. And then also this, this is obviously focusing on the supremacy of Christ. Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He's the one who made us. He's the one who put the stars in the sky and appointed them to their uh, place where they would go. And he's the one who created the planets. And he's the one that created the earth and the atmosphere and the earth, the dirt, the, all of it. He is the one who made it by the word of his power, which means that he spoke and there it is. We can't do that, right? Like we can create some cool stuff, but we're creating stuff based on stuff that's already been created. Does that make sense? He made it from nothing. This just radiates, this passage talks about the supremacy of Christ as God. And so now as we transition into chapter 2, we begin to look at this Jesus who is God in full form, becoming incarnate, becoming a man. Starting in verse 10, and we're just going to walk through the text, and then I'm going to present some application, and I'll let you guys go. Verse 10 says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The first part says, for it was fitting, and essentially what he's saying is, is that uh, God saw fit, it was within his will uh, to send Christ down to, and, and, and of course when it says the founder of our salvation, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the founder of our salvation. So God sought fit to send him down and make him perfect through suffering. And, and maybe you hear that phrase and maybe that's confusing because you're like, well wait, does that imply that Jesus was somehow imperfect before he suffered and then, then he suffered and then he became perfect? No, that's, that's not what that means. What he's saying is, is the word perfect essentially means complete. He, um, you see, when Jesus was born, he came down to fulfill a mission, right? Because, again, it's Christmas time, right? It's the first week of Advent. We're, we're getting into the season of celebrating Christmas, and now's the time of year where we start talking about little baby Jesus. And babies are cute, and right? Baby Jesus. And, and this is what we're talking about this morning. I'm going through this text, and I'm showing you why the incarnation matters, why it matters that Jesus came down and became uh, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. And so the first point is, is that he was born to fulfill a mission. When it says he was made perfect through suffering, the suffering is referring to his death. Jesus came down with a mission. He came down to die and make penance for our sins. And he did that and he completed his mission as he said he would. And that's one reason Jesus came down as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. I don't really know what swaddling cloth is. You guys, I'm assuming it's just when you wrap it up in a blanket. We can go with that. I'm not sure. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Uh, this verse has been debated a lot. And, and a lot of people argue it's either one source, as in uh, we both come from God, the Father, or one source, 
Jesus is of the same nature as us means that Jesus has a human nature because he was born and made flesh and has flesh and blood just like us. And, and this morning, it's been debated both ways. This morning, I'm just going to focus on the, on the Jesus relates to us, right? He was, uh, he was a flesh and blood just like us. And so when it says one source, that the one who sanctifies being God and the ones who are being sanctified, us, uh, believers in Christ, we're the ones who are being sanctified. And sanctified just means that we're being made righteous in God's sight. So through the life that we live as Christians, all of it is preparing us to, be, uh, to come before God one day. That's sanctification. We're getting rid of our sin. We're repenting. We're trusting in faith. We're living our lives to honor and glorify God. That is sanctification through the big things and the little things. Um, and that's what he means. And so the one who sanctifies us, the one who grows us, and the one, us, being sanctified, are of one source. We are like Jesus in the sense where we are both humans. He can relate to us. And so the second part here is that Jesus was born uh, to be our brother. He was born to uh, have a familiar, uh, familial tie with us. He's part of our family. And, and to show this, um, he's going to, well, I'll just read the next part of the verse. He says, uh, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And, and by them, he means us, to call us brothers. And, and what he's going to do here is he's going to um, do what Hebrews does, which makes Hebrews one of the most confusing New Testament books to uh, understand and read, is he's going to start quoting these random passages from the Old Testament. And so in order to understand what the author's talking about, we're going to have to do a little work. I'm sorry. I wanted to make it easy, but Hebrews. I couldn't resist this text. So, Verse 12, I'll just read this part again. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, verse 12, saying, and this is him quoting Psalm 22, verse 22. It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, what the author is doing here is, remember, he's talking to a predominantly Jewish church. They know the Old Testament, and they're Christians. And so when they hear that, they think, oh, Psalm 22. And if you go to Psalm 22, if I uh, have my bookmark on it still, which it seems I don't. Oh, no, I do. Okay. If you go to Psalm 22, what you will realize, is that, um, and the early church would have realized this, this as well, is Psalm 22 is a parallel to the crucifixion of Christ. It's one of those fulfilling Old Testament prophecy things. Let me show you. If you don't believe me, I, I will show you. Verse 1 of Psalm 22 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? That's something that Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross. And this was written, you know, a good few hundred thousand years before, not a hundred thousand, but a long time before, <laughs> a long time before uh, Jesus was born. Um, so again, it's parallel, uh, paralleling the crucifixion of Christ. Another part is verses 7 and 8 of Psalm uh, 22. It says, all who see me mock me. They make uh, mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Uh, this is a parallel to when the Roman guards mocked Christ on the cross. Call down the angels if you're the Son of God. They'll rescue you. It's just a parallel to that mocking. And then another one, um, verses 16 through 18. 
Uh, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They, are, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, another parallel to the crucifixion. All of this to point out the fact that when the Hebrew author wrote this particular verse down, going down to to verse 22, he had this in mind because he was trying to bring out the fact that because Jesus came down and was incarnate and born, he uh, is our brother. And so they would have recognized that, and then they would have gone down to this verse 22 in particular, which says, again, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. This verse is essentially, um, if you look at the context of the psalmist who wrote this psalm, he's going through this suffering, he's going through this hurting, he's being mocked by people, and instead of wallowing in self-pity, he goes, I will trust in the Lord, I will tell my brothers of your goodness, Lord. It's um, it's a, it's an outpouring and it's a declaration of trust, And so this is why it parallels Jesus. This is the argument the Hebrew author is making. He's saying, this is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he's saying, despite me being forsaken and me suffering and me doing all these things, I will still trust you and I will tell my brothers of you. And the brothers is referring to, to us. Make sense? Cool. Glad you're still with me. Uh, the next part uh, says this. And again... When we're back in Hebrews, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children uh, of God, or sorry, let me read that again. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Again, the Hebrew author is now quoting uh, a text in Isaiah. And in the context of Isaiah, um, the, the author of Isaiah being Isaiah, was facing a lot of tribulation and a lot of, um, I believe this is the part in the story of the Old Testament where the Assyrians were about to take take over Israel. And he's trusting in the Lord. And again, all this Hebrew author is trying to do is point out, again, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and that Jesus was born to be our brother in arms. He was uh, born to have camaraderie with us, to be in relationship with us, to be uh, a part of our family. That's why he became flesh and blood, to be like us. The beautiful thing is, is because of sin, there is a gap, a giant hole, a canyon between us and God. And Jesus, by being fully God and fully man, bridges that gap to give us access to God. And all the Hebrew author is trying to do is is show them that. He's trying to say, Jesus was born to be our brother, to be like us, but yet he's still fully God. These two passages point out that Christ trusts the Father, right, and calls us to do the same, and that he is uh, in familial relations. I mean, he's, he's our family. He is like us. He is of our nature. He is a human like us, of flesh and blood. Moving on to uh, verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 
So, now we begin to see more about the mission of God in more detail. Uh, essentially, what is happening here is he's saying that in order for Jesus to defeat death and the devil and sin and offer us forgiveness, he had to die. And in order for God to die, God had to become a man because God can't, he can't die. So how does he make it possible to do that? How does he become that perfect sacrifice? He becomes a man. And in so doing, in partaking in the same flesh and blood that, that we have, Again, the, he becomes like us. He has a, uh, he's part of our family. He's part of the human race. He is like us. But then he's able to be perfect because he's God and he's able to take our sin upon himself to, to save us. Again, we're talking about the incarnation, right? We're talking about Christmas. It's Christmas time. And, and I'm challenging you to focus on the why of the incarnation. He came down to save us. That was his mission. Christmas always leads to Easter, right? Verse uh, 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. When Jesus came down and took on death upon himself and he defeated death and he defeated the devil, right? He set us free. We were slaves we were slaves to a bondage of sin. We were slaves to a bondage of the fear of death. And he set us free from that. He broke the chains. And we are set free if we are in Christ. He's essentially taken away the devil's only weapon that the devil ever had over us, which was sin, right? Uh, the devil's really good at uh, accusing us, is he not? And if he's not, then our own flesh is, because that's what we do, right? We're the, we, if the devil's not heaping shame on us, we ourselves are heaping shame on us, and the devil uses that. And in Christ, if you are a new creation in him, and you've been saved and put your faith and trust in the Lord, it has no effect on you. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of the condemnation, because uh, Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Amen? You can say amen. I'm okay with that. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Again, he's talking to a predominantly Jewish church, and he's pointing out the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that was given to Abraham by God in Genesis. Right? He has fulfilled that. Jesus is the completeness of that. He has fulfilled all of the Old Testament. And if you read the rest of the book of Hebrews, and I... Uh, really highly encourage you to do, that's what you're going to see. He's just going to make an argument over and over again. Jesus is the better. Jesus is the fulfillment of. And he's going to point to the Old Testament over and over again. He has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled uh, the penance for. Uh, there's no need to make sacrifices to the altar anymore because he has done it for us. He's become the perfect sacrifice. Moving on. And so what we see here is that Jesus was born to defeat death and set us free, right? So we see that Jesus was born to complete a mission. We see that Jesus was born to, to be our brother in arms. He, he was created to be like us in every way. He is 
human. And 100% God. Scholars call that the hypostatic union. It's a fun word. Yeah. Which essentially just means Jesus is 100%, 100%. Which is a mysterious thing to grasp, and I won't try to help you grasp it today because I don't have the time. Uh, but it is a beautiful thing to consider. Moving on to verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus came down, and again, it seems like he's repeating himself, right? Do you notice that? He keeps saying that Jesus had to be made like us too. Jesus had to be made, made like us too. And so Jesus had to be made like us to make a propitiation for our sins. And when he says propitiation, that's essentially just a, another fancy word for uh, Jesus appeasing or absorbing the wrath of God that was due us. As people who live in an American culture, we don't like talking about the wrath of God. Do you know why? Because we all think we're too good. We, we don't deserve God's wrath. I'm a basic good person. So when we think about the idea of God having wrath that makes us feel uncomfortable and queasy because we don't think we deserve it. But we do. But we do. And that makes the, the gloriousness of the gospel oh so much more better because if even though we're wicked and deserve God's wrath and his judgment and his anger, he poured it out on Jesus for us. And that's another part of Jesus' mission, his incarnation, why he came down. He came down to take on that wrath so that we could be made right with God and become his kids. Amen? And that's gospel right there. That's good stuff. Next verse. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was born to sympathize with his people. He knows what it's like to be us. In Luke uh, 2.7, it talks about the birth of Jesus, right? I brought up little baby Ellie. Jesus was that little baby. Jesus was that little vulnerable, soft-skinned kid who didn't like know anything. He put himself down to that vulnerability. That's why I brought baby Ellie up here, because I wanted you guys to see that was Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the world, the supreme Christ, the king of glory, the all in all, the everything. He became a baby. And why? To save us and to sympathize with us, because now he knows what it's like to be us. Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. 35, right? It's the shortest verse in the Bible. He uh, lost a friend. He experienced mourning. He was a human who felt loss. And granted, you can say, well, yeah, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead a few verses later. But this just shows his humanity. It's not like Jesus came down and everyone was like, where were you? Why didn't you come sooner? You could have prevented this. It's not like he was like, guys, step aside. I got this. Lazarus, open that door. No, he came down and he cried and he wept because he felt that loss. He knows what it's like to be us. Jesus was tempted. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it talks about the temptation of Christ. 
He goes out into the desert. He fasts for 40 days, and then Satan himself comes and tempts him three times. And he overcomes it. But he still felt the weight of that temptation, just like we do every day. And he can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like to feel temptation. And Jesus was distressed. Right in Luke 22, in verses 39 through 46, Jesus was sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane? I probably pronounced that wrong. Anyways, he was sitting in the Garden, and he's praying, and he's distraught because he knows what's about to happen. He's about to go hang on a cross, and he's about to suffer a lot of pain. And he felt that distress, and he was like, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's anything else you can do, any other way you can make this happen, but not... But what's he say? But not my will, but your will, Lord. Right? He knows what it's like to feel great distress. To the point of sweating blood, which you have to be super stressed to, or distressed to get to that point. So, what do we do with all this, guys? What do we do with this incarnation? Why the incarnation? How do we apply this? What do we make of it? First, uh, going back to the Jewish church, the understanding that most scholars argue for is that in this chunk of passage, the Hebrew church was uh, struggling with a fear of death. They were afraid to die, which we can all relate to, right? I'd say we're even worse now than they were back then because, I mean, you get older and you've got to start taking these pills and those pills and you better... Like, what happens if we don't eat? We die. We have to eat in order to live. We have to drink water in order to live. So our whole lives are wrapped in this idea that if we don't take care of ourselves, we die. And we're afraid of that, most of us, especially if you're not in Christ, because you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die. Right? And so this passage was written, this author wrote this particular passage to encourage the believers of this Jewish church that you no longer have to fear death because Christ has defeated it. And I don't mean like, like you know, uh, there's a famous saying where someone says, uh, I'm not really afraid of dying, or no, I'm not really afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. Does that make sense? He, he's not afraid of the idea of dying, but the, when it happens, what's going to happen? How's it going to go? Am I going to suffer? Am I going to hurt? That's what we're afraid of. And we're all afraid of that, because death comes to us. The death rate's 100%. Uh, as I was doing my job this week, I a few times walked into the office to get a drink of coffee. And in the office, there's a girl crying and mourning for the death of one of her uncles that passed away. That was hard to watch. I, I wanted to mourn with her because that death stinks. It is no fun. But in Christ, there's an ultimate hope that when we die, we get him. And if we stay alive, we get him. So the reason that he set us free from the bondage of the fear of death is to say that no matter what happens, whether we live or whether we die, we get Christ and that's enough and he changes our hearts. And the goal is to make us the type of people who no longer fear death. We become the type of people who, no matter what happens, I get Jesus. So, yeah, if I, you know, Paul said it, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, I get to continue on the mission of the Lord. If I die, I get to be with the Lord forever. We look forward to that. We don't have to be afraid of death. 
That's the first application. The second, and actually if you go to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, he has just gotten done talking about the supremacy of Christ and the great salvation we share in the gospel. And he starts off by saying in the verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift from it. My challenge for you guys is don't drift. Pay close attention to your salvation. I don't mean uh, don't drop it, don't lose it, because you can't lose your salvation once you have it. What I mean by that is that we are called as Christians to remember these things. I so often get so caught up in my life and and paying bills and making enough money to buy food for my kids and and, uh, trying to go to school and get schoolwork done and, and doing all of these things that I forget. I forget God and I forget his goodness and I forget to even go to him in prayer. I forget to get into his word and remember him. And the Hebrew author is saying, don't drift through life forgetting your salvation. This is a challenge to believers to go. You have to remember. That's why we're called to the three basic things of the, of the Christian life, Bible, prayer, and fellowship, right? We are called to read and know his word because in so doing, we are getting to know our Savior. We're getting to know the lover of our soul who we're someday going to be with forever. And it teaches us how to be better people, does it not? It sanctifies us and convicts us of sin and brings us to repentance, which is turning from sin. We pray because we're called to talk to the lover of our soul, right? In the same way, I'm called to uh, talk to my wife. I have to talk to her. I have to tell her how I feel. And I'm really bad at that, and I think most guys are. I'm really bad at talking to my wife about my feelings. But that's the other challenge for us as believers in Christ. We're called to talk to the Lord and pray to him. I mean, we can even lament to him. Have you ever read Lamentations? It's painful. They're brutal. They're like, what are you doing, Lord? Are you even there? Hello? Is anyone out there? Am I being ignored? There's an honesty in lamenting to the Lord even in that way. When we're suffering, we can lament to him. He can handle it. He's not going to get mad or impatient with you. He can take it. We're called to pray and fellowship. We're called uh, to uh, be together just like Christ is our brother. We are brothers and sisters together in this fight to be sanctified in the Lord. We're supposed to encourage each other and open up to each other and confess sins to each other, right? Um, I, I really enjoyed this uh, song I showed you at the beginning, um, uh, especially these, uh, this particular, I think it was the last verse. It says, O Lord Jesus, God incarnate, who assumed this humble form, counsel me and let my wishes to your perfect will conform. Right? So we have just looked at this passage in Hebrews. We have looked at why Jesus came down and became a man. He came down for a mission. He came down because he is our brother. He is our familial uh, in relations with us. He is our, he's part of our family. He is us. He came down to defeat sin and death and take away our fear of death. And in all of that, I want to challenge you, yes, 
Don't drift from this. Remember this. Read it every day because we forget so often. And I love this line, counsel me and let my wishes to your perfect will conform. This is our aim. As believers, if you are in here today and you don't feel any inkling or desire to repent of sin or make much of the Lord or please him, or you don't feel a draw towards that or even struggle with the idea of sin, there's a good chance you're not a Christian. And I don't say that to make you mad. I'm trying to help you to think. And consider that if you don't have a sensitivity to these things, you are probably not his child. And I invite you to repent and put your trust in him and become his child. So that you can become the type of person who says with the singer of this song, counsel me and let my wishes, my desires, my heart, my everything to your perfect will conform. Make me want to please you. Make me want to be like you. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. And how do we apply that? Right? That means that God's will for our lives is for husbands. Love your wives. Don't neglect them. Be there for them. Wives, love your husbands. Right? It's all of these little things. Go to work and work as if God's watching you. Not as a fearful uh, boss. But as a father, you want to please. My son comes up to me all the time, and he's like, Dad, look what I did. Look at, uh, I was playing Mario, and isn't that cool? I won this prize, right? He gets excited about it, and he wants to show his dad. Live like that. Live like a little kid who is excited to show his father, I want to please you. I want to make much of you, Lord. I want to be like you. I'm going to ask uh, the brothers who are going to do communion to come forward. We're going to take communion uh, right now, and I, I want to challenge you that as we are taking communion, as we are remembering uh, Jesus coming down and bleeding and breaking himself to make us uh, forgiven, that, that as you partake of the bread and partake of the cup, that you would remember. Uh, maybe sit and pray, repent of sin if you have to. We all have, we all struggle with sin. We all need to repent. We all do. And if you don't think you do, you're lying to yourself, which is a sin, so repent of that. Okay? And I want, you to, I want to invite you to consider these things this morning. I want us to take seriously our call as Christians uh, to, to, to be Christians. And on the night that Jesus was crucified, he took some bread and he broke it up. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat, do this in remembrance of me. This morning, as you partake of the bread, remember that Jesus broke himself to set you free.
And on that same night, he took up his cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Uh, As you partake of the cup of little grape juice, this is a reminder that Jesus shed his blood. He died to set us free from our sin, to set us free from the fear of death and to conform us and make us like him. Pray that you would have a heart that leads towards that. I I want to be the type of person who wants to please you, Lord. As we uh, leave today, I guess I just want to leave with this final thought. Um, It's Christmas time, and this is a a time of year for rejoicing, especially as believers, because we are rejoicing in, again, as I've said over and over again, Christ, the supreme God of the universe, coming down and becoming a baby to save us. Remember that this Christmas season. And don't just remember that. Live in light of that truth. Respond to it by making all of the big things and the little things you do uh, 
being done in such a way that pleases the Lord. And the only way you can learn what pleases the Lord is to get into his word and read it so that you can understand how you can further do that. And you're not doing it to earn anything. You're doing it because he has done so much for you that I just want to give him everything in response to that. Pray and talk to him and wrestle it out with him. Make your life. Be a Christian. I guess I don't know how else to say it. Um, I'm going to pray and then I'll let you all be. Father God, we just come before you as a people who need to remember uh, what you have done to save us. Help us to want to grow and be more like you. Help us to want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you so that we can uh, know uh, the lover of our soul all the more. Help us to take these things seriously and as we go about our lives to remember you and not drift away from you. I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you.